Welcome. This is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 103 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is about managing supply chain risks. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Before we get started, two points. First, please subscribe to our podcast and give the podcast a five-star rating. Second, the Volkoff Law Group assists companies in providing ethics and compliance program services. We work closely with clients to design and implement compliance programs, including policies and procedures, third-party risks and due diligence, risk and compliance program assessments, internal investigations, and compliance audits, especially with respect to post-acquisition anti-corruption audits. If interested, please contact me at mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com. Well, welcome, everyone. And uh, supply chain uh, risks have is a continuing issue, and uh, particularly with regard to OFAC, uh, including supply chain risks in terms of sanctions compliance, I thought it would be good to return to taking an overall perspective, a macro viewpoint of supply chain risks and uh, how we get at that issue. Um, and uh, let's start first with how do we even define risk uh, when we come to supply chains, because uh, it's a pretty broad concept. It can include, for example, supply risks can arise from a variety of sources, including political risks. Uh, when you operate internationally, let's say, in a, in a supply chain, uh, legal risks, which we are very familiar with and we can talk about, logistics risks uh, in, uh, in terms of logistics, in terms of bringing uh, products to certain areas uh, in your supply chain and keeping it moving. Uh, climate change, uh, climate, not just climate change, but, you know, uh, t- for example, if there's a hurricane or there's a, a major event which can impact your uh, production facilities or your suppliers uh, who provide valuable inputs to you, um, there's redundancy that may be needed so that you're not dependent upon one particular supply supplier or vendor. Financial risks, economic risks with that sole supplier as well. So there's a holistic approach that can be used to look at all of these risks together, and therefore uh, it's kind of a broader uh, examination of risks, which looks at the impact on the business of a particular event and the likelihood of occurrence uh, to get at that issue. So the holistic risk is more of a business and procurement function. So I don't see it as a legal risk or a compliance risk necessarily. But there's usually uh, within the, uh, each company, a global company, there's going to be this management of this risk, which usually uh, is done in the procurement department, uh, maybe by your chief procurement officer. And there are a large number of risks with major impacts occurring Uh, So there's, you know, you can, like I said, with earthquakes, you can have geographic clustering of suppliers, and that can can create a significant risk. These are uh, the significant enterprise risks that usually are also captured in your enterprise risk management process. Legal risks is relatively low, and reputational risks Uh, is more significant, but legal risks is relatively low in this holistic view um, in terms of looking at your uh, supply chain. So 
in a holistic risk model, for example, if you if that's your aim, uh, you then have to define what your risks are that you're going to be looking at and what data you will use, uh, like supply, quantity, price, and value, the impact of disruption. Uh, you have to train on your model. You'll have to dis- demonstrate uh, and identify metrics for the success of your risk management in your holistic approach. Uh, and obviously, your main goal is to maintain supply, reduce costs, and, uh, and you have to develop some kind of measurement of the procurement function in that sense. Um, in this whole area, one of the things that I see is uh, we definitely see different functions with different responsibilities with silos and technology. And uh, there are sort of cross functions that need to interact with each other and work well with each other. By that, I mean procurement, sourcing, for example, for material supply. Uh, you know, some companies have sort of a sourcing operation, uh, vendor onboarding, accounts payable, contract management, and compliance and legal. Here, again, we want to see information sharing capabilities, and I always argue for just even from a compliance standpoint uh, in terms of maintaining your compliance controls that information sharing is critical uh, in these areas. And you also have a real danger of silos and technology bars or technology uh, conflicts where one part of the company uses one particular technology uh, and the software may not be compatible with other parts. So the... The challenge for the chief compliance officer, even though they're not sort of at the enterprise risk management level in terms of maintaining procurement supply and that holistic view, is they are a part and represent a part of the supply chain risks. Um, And this creates an opportunity from my standpoint for chief compliance officers to get involved in the enterprise risk management process, which is always good because it gives you line of sight across the business operations. And if you can get involved in that process, uh, more power to you. Uh, it's holi- the holistic risk management model then creates that opportunity for compliance to get a seat at the business table. Um, operational risks can be more significant from the legal risks, but nonetheless, to be at this table and hear about them uh, and create relationships yourself can help you then to manage compliance risks using the information that you gain and intra-company relationships. So, for example, you may get access to data and information that's important for you, and you may learn from the holistic sort of risk management or enterprise risk management process. So knowing your supply chain and and learning your supply chain uh, and the links in the chain are very important. But let's take a look for a minute at the legal and compliance risks. We do have anti-corruption risks to the extent that in your supply chain, uh, if you do have people who represent you, uh, you could have FCPA risks. uh, And even in a non-representational capacity, you could have... uh, other applicable laws like the UK Bribery Act, which uh, could uh, create risks for you as well. We have anti-money laundering risks since there's payments of money going back and forth, and we're looking for and making sure we're not uh, laundering proceeds of illegal activity. We have sanctions, uh, which is obviously under the new OFAC guidance is very important. Um, We have human trafficking. 
uh, risks, and that uh, is particularly important with regard to the UK's Anti-Slavery Act and disclosure requirements. Conflict minerals, which uh, some many companies have had to spend a lot of time in terms of the disclosure obligations under the SEC for that. And we have the California Supply Chain Transparency Act and the requirements there. So these all give uh, a reason for the chief compliance officer to learn uh, the supply chain, the links in the chain, if you know, if you don't mind me saying that, and learning more uh, and educating others about what the legal and compliance risks are. You know, typically what we see is 80% of a company's supply chain spending, you know, falls to, you know, 10, 20, at most 30 major suppliers. Um, and the revenue and the amount of spend is an important factor for assessing risk. And remember the risk categories again, which I just said, representative relationships can create risk in terms of bribery. We have direct contractual relationships, indirect contractual relationships, where they may be two steps removed, but nonetheless in our supply chain. Tiered suppliers uh, in the defense industry, we call it, you know, there's tier one, tier twos, tier three, or in manufacturing of uh, automobiles. And then overall, we have a risk, which is reputational risks and the dangers that are created by reputational risks. And these days, uh, the larger the company, the larger the focus, I think, on reputational risks. So some of the processes that we should look at and uh, helps us in our compliance function, as well as just understanding our supply chain, is what is our vendor-supplier onboarding process? Um, And different procurement functions are at risk for non-standard onboarding processes. So we want to try to get information sharing, a seat at the table in terms of the process we have for onboarding, and using that as an opportunity to collect information, conduct due diligence, uh, begin a relationship with a potential vendor, and uh, go from there. Um, And there are different types of risk management systems that are going to apply. What, you know, if I see a situation where all people do is sign somebody up and run a TIN or tax identification number check in the United States, that's not much of a risk management system. Um, So we want to get an onboarding process that involves as much collection of information that we can get. There obviously is usually a financial type of analysis as well. Uh, And we want to make sure there's coordination in this process with legal, compliance, procurement, and financial risks since uh, all this information is being looked at, collected, and there are reasons for all of these people to sign off uh, in, in terms of these issues. I mentioned representation risks and the FCPA and your supply chain. So suppliers that represent your company akin to an agent create potential FCPA liability when they represent you in interactions with the uh, with a foreign uh, official. So this requires, obviously, we've talked ad nauseum about third-party and due diligence risk management programs. Uh, some examples include agents, specialty suppliers who are unique or customized products, uh, suppliers with foreign government touch points, you know, a government contract to mine specialized mineral, for example, uh, lobbyists, uh, because they obviously represent you uh, before 
foreign officials in the political arena, and professionals, particularly tax professionals and other types of consultants who may uh, lobby on or go and represent you, let's say, before certain regulated industries um, or regulated bodies. My uh, One of the biggest high-risk areas for me are tax professionals in China who may be assisting you in uh, negotiating uh, what your taxes may be. Um, supply chain risks uh, is really the new frontier in sanctions. Uh, and supply chain audits, which are somewhat akin to conflict minerals compliance, are the new standard that have to be employed in, for purposes of risk assessment uh, for sanctions compliance programs. That has been specifically outlined and uh, detailed by OFAC in the new framework. Um, and it incorporates then that you have to look at where are in your chain where materials sourced from and understand are there any prohibited entities or countries uh, in which you're obtaining materials uh, in your supply chain. Uh, and liability in this area for OFAC extends uh, and extends, and I'm going to talk about the reason for this, to unknown sourcing uh, from prohibited parties. So even if it's unknown to you uh, and you haven't conducted a supply chain audit, they're going to hold you accountable. So contractual provisions for OFAC compliance need to flow down in your supply chain. Uh, and your geographic and product service risks have to be evaluated for sourcing. So in, if, you're in, if your suppliers are in close proximity to North Korea, Iran, or Cuba, you have to be, or Venezuela nowadays with oil, uh, you have to be careful uh, with regard to that. The reason, uh, and I want to highlight one case that came out from OFAC, it was an enforcement action uh, on January 31st, 2019, ELF Cosmetics, uh, and this is the reason that we're now dealing with these supply chain risks. OFAC announced a $996,000 uh, settlement with ELF Cosmetics, uh, a California cosmetics company, for violation of the North Korean sanctions regulations. And the way ELF violated the North Korea sanctions was by importing 156 shipments of fake eyelash kits from two suppliers in China that contained material sourced by these suppliers from North Korea. The total value of the illegal shipments was $4.4 million. ELF's violations and failure to act occurred as part of its supply chain risk management process. ELF failed to discover that approximately 80% of the false eyelash kits supplied by two of ELF's China-based suppliers contained materials from North Korea. So ELF, ELF was cited by OFAC for failure to exercise sufficient supply chain due diligence while sourcing products from a region that poses a high risk of connection to North Korea. So to remediate this, ELF had to implement supply chain audits uh, that verify the country of origin of goods and services used in ELF products. Uh, they adopted new procedures to require suppliers to sign certificates of compliance, stating that they will comply with all U.S. export controls and trade sanctions, and they have to conduct an enhanced supplier audit on a regular basis. So that's the reason why we have this new sort of OFAC supply chain uh, audit requirement and uh, sort of more specific guidance uh, with regard to that. 
when we look at our third parties and the risk management, uh, traditionally we've looked at business sponsorship. Uh, we've had risk ranking, uh, you know, assigning weights and factors based upon, let's say, the country's uh, corruption perception index and financial interactions, in other words, the amount of revenue involved. Uh, anti-corruption, in the anti-corruption area, we identify government officials as well. Uh, because we're worried that, let's say, there's a government owner in a particular entity uh, in our third party. Uh, we've talked about sanctions compliance. We also have uh, anti-money laundering and know your uh, customer or know your vendor requirements, uh, and that comes up with third party payments, uh, bank account verifications, and looking at corporate structures and, and the use of shell companies. Uh, which require us often to obtain beneficial ownership information uh, as well. We also see specialized supply chain risks uh, in two laws, in particular the California Supply Chain Transparency Act, which requires disclosure for any company that does business in California with $100 million in gross revenues, and they have to reduce, uh, they have to disclose uh, human trafficking and slavery disclosures relating to verification, audits, certification, internal accountability, and training requirements. Uh, conflict minerals, the SEC disclosure rule applies to issuers and applies to four basic minerals, uh, gold, cassiterite, uh, columbiite, and wolframite. Uh, these are from specialized African uh, countries, and, dis and they have uh, disclosure requirements. To mitigate our legal risks, obviously, we look at due diligence, screening, onboarding documentation, advice of counsel opinions, uh, contractual provisions, multi-tiered contractual representations. I also look at supplier code of conduct and having people sign that executing that, uh, you know, uh, which may be part of your contractual provisions as well, training, and then we have new requirements with regard to auditing and monitoring uh, uh, issues. One of the harder areas in the multi-tiered uh, supply chain context uh, uh, is uh, the lack of privity of contract. In other words, we contract with supply company number one, who in turn contracts with number two, who in turn contracts with number two. We are not in direct privity with them, and that requires us to negotiate to push down requirements on the supplier to assume responsibility for sub-suppliers. Uh, and we have to be careful here because uh, it's clear that uh, the government expects us to impose as much as we can and robust compliance requirements with regard to our supply chain. Um, so we want to try to impose similar requirements on a supplier's own suppliers, going one step removed, uh, training, uh, prohibiting sub-distributors unless approved by your company if you can get that, uh, and translate this commercial leverage that you have with, let's say, your supplier to compliance uh, on for lower levels uh, in there, in the uh, supply chain. Supplier codes of conduct are a very helpful uh, document because they give you a positive statement of your ethics and legal compliance commitment. Uh, it communicates your com company's culture. It reiterates the important contractual provisions and hopefully imposes specific requirements. And it sets a standard for the company that can be, um, that can be looked at. 
Uh, we also have training programs where for the supply chain, just like on our distribution side for third parties, um, we want to leverage online training, carve time out for training uh, at supplier meetings, uh, document attendance at online and in-person events, and require attendance and participation for certain for suppliers uh, and vendors. And lastly, uh, I wanted to mention auditing and monitoring programs, and obviously that's even more important with the OFAC case that I mentioned, but high-risk industries that are known for robust and intense audit programs um, really have to commit to this with some on-site audits for significant suppliers, um, and particularly those for the high-risk uh, suppliers. And an annual auditing plan uh, should be developed using a specific risk formula. Um, and depending on the business, the amount of auditing resources, um, and risk threshold, we can use a, a variety of tools, including spot checks, sampling, uh, transaction testing, desktop or phone audits, and even a formal supply chain audit, but at least to find out in particular on the, from the sanctions perspective, where they are sourcing their materials from so that we get uh, more and more information uh, in the collection process to make sure that none of these companies are, uh, in fact, dealing with prohibited persons or dealing with proceeds of illegal activities, all of that which creates sanctions, AML um, uh, risks, and liabilities. Okay, well, that's uh, just a quick overview of uh, supply chain risks and what we see uh, out there. Um, uh, again, uh, we, it's an issue to keep watching, particularly in the sanctions area, as uh, OFAC makes clear its uh, heightened expectations in this area. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkoff Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. We can help you achieve these benefits through an effective ethics and compliance program. You can learn more about our commitment to effective ethics and compliance programs at our website, www.volkofflaw.com our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our podcast series. You can always contact me at my email address, mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com. Let us know how we can help you achieve your goals.